today on It's Time. I believe that our lives are divinely charted by God. Nothing happens to you by accident. I hear the calling, it's time, it's time, it's time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going verse by verse through the New Testament book of Acts. So, follow along as we join Pastor Mike. We commonly call it Easter, but it's really resurrection morning. It's the morning in which they came to the tomb and found it empty. The only cure, known cure for death is Jesus. That's a great thing that we have to look forward to, friends. You know, it isn't death is the final curtain. It's that your faith in Christ will keep you alive. Everybody, the Bible says, lives, exists somewhere forever. The Bible says those that go to be with the Lord, it's eternal life. Those that go... The other place is eternal death. That's a decision that every person makes. But Jesus made a provision so not one person would ever have to experience death. And that's great news that we find in God's word. Amen. And it's because, again, he loved us before we loved him. God made the first move. He waits for us to respond. And so understanding that then, what God has for us, what a joy it is, a pleasure it is, to study God's Word, to see the Holy Spirit move and drive and keep people in God's perfect will. And so tonight, as we continue to look at the early church being inspired by the Holy Spirit, as we find the Holy Spirit falling on the disciples and those that believed in Acts chapter 2, and the church moving in that power, what a great opportunity we have to realize that God wants to do the same thing with us. And so tonight, again, Acts chapter 18. All right, let's pray. Father, as we go to your word, again, we love you. Now bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 18. After these things. What things? The things we just read about in chapter 17. Well, what was that? Well, we remember Paul was waiting for his friends to come to Athens. And instead of just waiting around doing nothing, we remember that he, seeing the city of Athens, he decided to go check it out. And as he checks it out, he comes to this place called Mars Hill. And at this place called Mars Hill, there was a bunch of people that sat around and did nothing but discuss philosophy and ways of life. And it was also a place, you might say, a focal point of their worship where they had a lot of statues gathered around. And because they were afraid, because they were very pantheistic, not monotheistic as we are, believing in one God, but pantheistic, pan meaning many, just in case they might offend some God, they made one to the unknown God. Well, Paul, seizing the opportunity, says, this is the one I'm going to tell you about. 
And he begins to relate with them, bridge building, so that they would understand that God wants to, you might say, love and bless them. And to understand that God made all things so that we would know that there was a God in heaven who could make all these things and yet would still be able to make a life for us. Well, Paul communicated that to him. The Bible says that some believed and some even some, you might say, high-ranking officials, as we find in the last verse of the chapter, 17, believed in Christ. But what was really amazing here, and this gets back to life in the Spirit, is that Paul, waiting for his friends, did something with the time. Friends, I do believe that as a Christian, your days are divinely appointed by God. Remember this, God is bigger than the things that you and me have done wrong. And so because of that, we know that God can take something that the devil meant for your harm and make it for your good and ultimately the good for the kingdom of heaven. Only God can do that. Oh, we can't do that. Well, Paul then, his friends we don't find showed up. (laughs) So it tells us here, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Now again, Corinth was a seaport city, a very wicked city. It was completely annihilated in about 140 BC. Um, uh, And uh, it was rebuilt by Caesar. And uh, looking at this, you realize that this city was wicked before. (laughs) After it was rebuilt, it was wicked afterwards as well. And so it tells us here that um, he went to Corinth. Um, This was a major trade route, major trade city, full of wickedness. The temple of Aphrodite was there, which is, you know, the the, um, Venus, you might say. A thousand women priestesses that were also prostitutes that would go down into the city at night and raise money for their temple by these illicit practices. It was a town that was filled with all types of immorality. And so I believe this is why Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians both, instructing them especially how to survive in a very hostile Christian environment, you might say. Well, so he goes there. Now at this particular time, there really wasn't a church there. And so now we find in verse 2, it says, And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded that all Jews to depart from Rome. We, We don't know exactly the reason why. Some say that it was maybe because the Jews in their synagogue, somebody would come in preaching Christ, it would cause a riot, and people in Rome didn't want any of that stuff going on in their town, so they just threw all the Jews out. That's probably more along the lines of what actually happened. But nevertheless, everybody was expelled that was Jewish, and so they came to this place called Corinth. At least Priscilla and Aquila did. Now, some people believe that he was actually a Christian when he met up with Paul at this point. Others may believe that he was converted to Christianity by Paul about this same time. So, because they were of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation, they were tent makers. 
Now, this is something that they did in those days, and especially rabbis and those, they really weren't to take pay for their, for their services, and so the fathers would teach their sons a trade. Some, it might have been working with wood, some might be being a tent maker or being able to mend nets or something along that lines or clothes or something, but this is what they did. And so being they were of the same occupation, they kind of hooked up together. Now, what, what's kind of amazing here, as you look at this, Paul was waiting for his friends. And uh, as you find this, um, Paul doesn't get mad at his friends. He just realized things happen. And so he then just simply goes with where he's at. Now, by this time, he's probably running out of money. Because he had been, you might say, ministering. He had been at Mars Hill. He had been sharing with the people at Athens. And then he went to Corinth. And again, there was costs involved in getting there. And so he met up with some people who had similar occupations. And so they were making tents. Well, it tells us here they were united by a similar occupation. Now, this is kind of important because sometimes you'll find that you will be able to minister to people because you do the same kind of work. Because there's kind of a camaraderie. You know, well, you know, you're a salesperson, I'm a salesperson, and, you know, what did you think of, you know, uh, you'll find people in, in automotive field the same way. In fact, a lot of times, even guys that are after hours, when they're not working on their cars for the company, they'll go home and get with their buddies and work on their own cars. There's kind of something they like to do about that. Well, you see this also in hobbies. And I believe that there's a great ministry sometimes within hobbies, within the fellowship of Christ. Now, there's a lot of different groups here in our church that like to do different things. We have a hot rodders group and different things that they like to do. That doesn't mean you have to get together and have a Bible study. Okay, you know, I'm going to stand on this carburetor and I'm going to teach you the Bible. But what it means is they hang out. And yeah, on Sunday morning, they come to church here or Wednesday night or whatever. Uh, they're going to get their teaching there. But they have a, you might say, a similar desire and similar, you might say, uh, things are attracted to. Well, it tells us here that they were attracted together by similar occupation. Verse 4, it says, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. This is something that was customary of Paul to do. He would go uh, into the synagogues. Why would he go there? Well, first of all, they had a general understanding. At least they had, many of them, the Old Testament scriptures that predicted or foretold Messiah would come and restore God's plan to people. Now, their idea of restoring God's plan was to bring Israel back to the former days of glory as it was with King David. But actually, as you really look at the scripture, and especially like in Isaiah, it says that God's plan was really to restore man from his fallen condition from God. And until that problem was fixed, all the other ones wouldn't matter too much. This is why Jesus, on his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem, and it was their day to receive their king according to the prophecy that was given by Daniel in chapter 9. It was their day of receiving their king. Jesus rides in lowly on a donkey, which Jesus came in peace. The very first place that Jesus goes was to the temple. 
And the Bible says he turned over the table of the money changers, said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You made it a den of thieves. And the question is, why did he do that? Because he recognized something that we in America need to recognize the same way. Our problem, though we might have politicians that we disagree with, that's not the problem in America, friends. The problem in America is we have a spiritual deficit. We have a spiritual rebellion against God. The nation of Israel was no different. Jesus' first place that he went, when they laid the palm branches down, he rode right down from the Mount of Olives, and the Bible tells us the first place he went was into the temple. The reason why? Because he realized that Israel had a sick spiritual condition, and until that was fixed, nothing else could be fixed. Well, the Bible says that he turned over the table of the money changers and all that. Then afterwards, the people began to come in. He began to heal them and he began to teach them. You see, it was all spelled out in the scripture. So Paul, understanding that the Jewish people would have an understanding of this Messiah that was, you might say, prophesied. This is why Paul went to the synagogues first, because he was starting with people that should have at least been a little savvy concerning the things of God. Well, he would go in, and notice it says he persuaded both Jews and Greeks. He persuaded. Now, if you look at this word persuaded, it really isn't just a one-time thing, but it's a repetitive thing. And notice that it says he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. So it wasn't a one-shot deal. And I just want to share this with you as well, that if you're leading your friends to Christ or your relatives or whatever, sometimes you'll find that it's not just, well, I told them about Christ and if they don't want to accept the Lord, I'm out of here. Sometimes it takes persuasion. And persuasion requires, you might say, persistence. And so in the persuasion, continually going back and saying, hey, well, you know, um, what you think about God? What, what's he doing in your life? Well, I don't know. And to be able to convince people. So in other words, you need to know what you believe so you can preach the gospel and share it with others. So Paul did this. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. And as we've been coming uh, on Wednesday nights, looking at the previous chapters, we see that this was a, a, a really a way that Paul did that. Notice he did it for Jews and Greeks. He did it for Jews and Gentiles. This is really important because uh, he became all things to all men that he may win some. Now, Paul tells us that in the scripture. That does not mean that he lost the innocency of the gospel to become so he could preach to others. In other words, he didn't become a prostitute to minister to prostitutes. He didn't become a drug dealer to minister to drug dealers. He didn't become a thief to minister to thieves. But what it did mean is he may have went some of the places where some of those people were and related with them and built bridges with them so he could communicate the gospel to them. And so it says that he would do this regularly. Well, notice verse 5. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was constrained by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. His friends show up. This is, again, the second missionary journey. And his friends show up. And by the way, they brought him an offering from where they had been before 
to help Paul out because they knew Paul was not employed. Uh, they didn't know about him doing the tent thing. And so they brought him uh, uh, some offering, which then allowed Paul to go back and go full time into what he was doing. And so it says, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was constrained by the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, God emboldened him to do what God had called him to do. Now, friends, I I believe that we need that. Because a lot of times we'll have a calling on our life, but sometimes we don't have the spirit within us to do what God's called us to do. Um, You know, we always want to think that serving God is always, man, I just can't wait to do that. That's true. And that might be sometimes in the very... Anybody here that's ever taught, well, you know that, man, to teach people about Jesus is great and it's wonderful and it's exciting. But then sometimes there's other things that you might want to do or you may not have the fervor that you once had. And again, that's where we need to pray so we keep fired up by the Spirit of God so we'll keep doing what God's called us to do. But the thing we have to remember is oftentimes, and I remember when uh, years ago I started a Christian television station here. And, um, man, the first month, it was exciting, you know, to turn it on, knowing that was going in, in everybody's homes. And I was going, wow, God, this is great. You know, and this is really neat, man. It was exciting. You know, there was a little splash in the paper about it. And, and I was going, wow, that's really cool. Well, then it started warming up outside. It was, it was, uh, that was in May, I believe. And I think it was in June started warming up and, and, um, I went and said to everybody, what are you guys doing tonight? Oh, we're all going water skiing. What are you doing? I go, well, I, I got to go run the station. Oh, that's too bad. And so I'm up there turning the knives. And I'm still excited that I get to tell people about Jesus. But I begin to look out the window and it's nice and warm outside. And, and it's really sad in Idaho because, you know, when it warms up outside, if you don't go out and do something, you miss both days of summer. And so I, I was really troubled about that. And, and so I look out the window and, and all of a sudden you begin to think, well, you know, God, maybe nobody's even listening anyway. And maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should just go do something else. You'll find a lot of times a lot of visionaries around that want to start great big ministries and they start the big ministries. And then when it requires discipline day in and day out, month in and month out, year in and year out, well, then sometimes they don't have the fervor and the unction that they once did when they started whatever it was they were starting. That doesn't mean that the effect is any less when they started than when it is now, and sometimes maybe even more now than it was initially. But what it means sometimes is we can't let our feelings dictate to us the effectiveness, and we have to say, okay, Lord, well, you know, you you, you started this in me, uh, um, your word says to make full proof of your ministry. So, okay, I'll, I'll turn the knobs. And that's what I did. Well, it wasn't very long before somebody else was watching and they called me up and they said, hey, we're excited about what you're doing. And at that point I was going, well, I'm not too excited. I didn't say that. We're excited. And I go, well, that's great. And you know what? They said, well, come down. Can we take a night so you don't have to be here every night? And I go, thank you. And then another person came along. And pretty soon, I only had to do it a couple nights a week. And it wasn't a have to anymore. It was a want to. But God saw that where he guides us, he will provide people around us that share in the vision. 
But a lot of times people give up before that comes. Now, I'm sure that Paul, having to sow tents and minister and do all those things, finally his friends show up, they bring him some missionary support, and so then God emboldens him to do what he's called him to do. Well, now look, it tells us here, it says, so he preached Christ to him, verse 6, but, but they opposed him, and they blasphemed, and they shook He shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Well, that's really where God wanted him to go all along anyway. You know, it's it's, um, funny that um, uh, the way God works sometimes. And and so Paul said, I've had enough of you guys. You're just a bunch of hard-hearted people. And so he decided he was going to go to the Gentiles. Notice verse 7. So he departed from there and entered uh, a a house of a certain man named Justice, who was one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Oh my goodness. You got a synagogue and you got a believer in Christ living next door. Well, you know what happens when Jesus is around. People start building a crowd. No doubt uh, that was quite an issue for those in the synagogue. Now, was it by accident that this man lived next door to the synagogue? Friends, again, I believe that our lives are divinely charted by God. Nothing happens to you by accident. It is by divine appointment. And you say, but Mike, if God is God and God is good, and this is a divine appointment, why is it so uncomfortable in my life? I don't know. But I know this, that God will see you through. And sometimes the uncomfortability motivates us to go do something else. Now what I mean by that is this. We remember the prophet of God in the Old Testament. The ravens would come and feed him. They'd drop the food off. And then one day the ravens didn't come anymore. You know what he had to do? He got up and went somewhere else. <laughs> well, I find that to be the case. Sometimes when we get frustrated enough in something, it's God's way of nudging us into doing something else. Otherwise, if we were comfortable, we would never move from where we're at. And so God uses that sometimes. People say, well, God doesn't talk to me. How come God talks to others and he doesn't talk to me? I'm just miserable in my job. Well, did you ever think maybe God's telling you it's time to move from that job? You see, so sometimes we don't, we don't think, we think God's going to like call us on a cell phone and say, oh, my son or my daughter, this is what I want you to do. Well, that'd be good, but I find that really it's circumstances how God guides us. It just so happens that justice happened to have a house right next door to the synagogue. By accident? Nope. Divine appointment? Absolutely. Here's the question for you tonight. And sometimes I think this is one of the things we need to do in prayer. God, where am I in you tonight? Wow, you stop to think about that for a minute. As a matter of fact, that's what gives us, I believe, as the Bible tells us in Psalms, a heart of thanksgiving. Because what happens when we really analyze where we're at? Well, God, I have a car. I have a house. Maybe I'm a payment or two behind, but I I have a house. Uh, I, I have a, I, 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 I have some friends. I, I love you. 
uh, and we begin to take, you might say, a, a um, inventory of where we're at. Now, again, it's not by accident that you have these things in your life. It's by divine providence. Just so happens a guy who believes in Christ lives next door to the synagogue. What's the odds of that? Back in these days when there wasn't a lot of Christians around. In fact, there wasn't that many people who even loved God in those days, synagogue or not. So it's not by accident. When we begin to see our lives more through the eyes of God than through what we see in the carnal world. In other words, before we come to Christ, the Bible says we walk in darkness. After we come to Christ, we should walk in the light as he is in the light. The reason why is no longer now do we see things as accident or, whoa, pure luck. But rather we say, wow, God, this is your hand. Thanks for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening. And tune in next time for It's Time.